A purple and gold good day to you, and welcome into the JMU Sports Alumni Podcast for Friday, January 29th. I'm Kurt Dudley, Director of Broadcast Services and the all-sports voice for the Dukes. Thank you for listening. One of the fundamental and primary tools used by broadcasters and sports journalists that are covering collegiate teams, even the professional teams to a certain degree, are media guides. Now, you don't see media guides quite as often in the college ranks, but they still compile record books, and those records are passed down from sports information director to sports information director, and they are shared with members of the media. In preparation for every season, I get a nice, fresh copy, and I insert it into a three-ring binder that I carry with me to broadcast, and that certainly does include JMU men's basketball. So when you flip back, you've got the all-time results, and we go back in our book to the 1967-68 season as the first varsity level of JMU basketball. And that year, Phil Hunsinger was the head coach, Bob Hummer and Butch Rinker were the captains. Well, let's fast forward just a few years to the third year that Lou Campanelli was the head coach. That was 1974-75, and that year was also the freshman campaign for Pat Dosh. Dosh finished his career with the Dukes in 1978, was the captain, the solo captain, in 76-77, and he shared that honor with Sherman Dillard in 77-78. Dosh played in 104 games, 95 starts, and a couple of things that jumped out at me. He still is in the top 10 in field goals made and ranks fifth all-time in free throw attempts at 493. Now, he hit 366. I do know that. Uh, Let me see where he ranks in that category. Hold on a second. Let me look that up. Oh, here it is. He is number seven all-time with 366 right behind Ron Curry, and right behind Pat is Darren McClinton. So just throwing a few names out there for you. And uh, Pat does show up in some of the other top ten all-time, even though he played back in 1974 through 78, and a lot of players have certainly come through during that time. Well, recently I talked with Pat, and it's a good conversation because it gives you a good sense of and feel for the early days of JMU basketball and somewhat of a sense of, things to come with that sport as well. I start off with asking Pat about where he grew up. Uh, Well, I grew up, Kurt, in Kensington, Maryland, uh, right outside of D.C., Washington, D.C. area. And basically, sports was was my childhood. I mean, we we basically played whatever sport was in season at the time. You know, uh, cold weather, we'd play basketball and and uh and football and the warmer weather we'd play baseball uh and uh and I went on to uh went on to play three sports throughout my childhood in school and then in high school I I narrowed it down to two I dropped football and just played uh baseball and and basketball but sports has always been uh an integral part of of my childhood and and growing up I'm finding that there's a common denominator with a lot of you guys that grew up in the 70s and into the early 80s uh, is multi-sports, and oftentimes it is football and baseball. And uh, Linton Towns was was both. Or he played he played football, and then Steve Steelper also was a multi-sport athlete. That seemed to be the general trend in the 70s. Not not much so here today. No, you're right, and I think it's uh, I think it's sad. Uh, I you know I've heard the stories of the kids nowadays that you know, are great baseball pitchers and they'll play baseball year round and they'll throw their arm out by the time they're 16 years old and need Tommy John surgery in high school. And, uh, 
I think there's a lot to be said about, you know, uh, playing uh, all three sports and uh, not doing as much damage possibly to your body, um, you know, over the long run. So, uh, so yeah, I'm a, I'm a big believer in, uh, especially while kids are young, to play as many sports as possible and not, and and you have plenty of time to focus in on which one you uh, you decide you want to play at a higher level. And you mentioned that you uh, you uh, moved to the basketball world. And what is your story, Pat, about becoming a Duke? How did that happen? Well, it's uh, it's an interesting story. I uh, I um, I really focused, as I said, on basketball as I got you know in, into my high school years, and. Um, I was one of those kids that uh, were like a lot of the players that Lou Campanelli and Mike Fratella and staff recruited back in the day that, uh, you know, I had some skills. I was fortunate enough to to make first team all Washington metropolitan area my senior year, but of high school, but I was a, um, I was a six foot three and a half white small forward that couldn't dunk a basketball really didn't, didn't have very little jumping ability. But I kind of made up for that with my lack of speed is, I guess, how I would summarize <laughs> my my, uh, my abilities as a basketball player. And uh, But I did have uh, a great love for the game, and uh, and I think whatever I lacked in, in talent or skills, I tried to make up for with uh, aggressiveness and hustle and, and trying to outwork, uh, you know, other players. And I think uh, – I think – you know, that's just one example of many of the players that went to JMU back then is that, you know, we were uh, not highly sought after by a lot of other schools. And most of us had faults. We weren't um, we weren't perfect in every way and every facet, you know, of the game. Um, but coach was somehow able to to look through that and uh, and figure out which ones he thought could really still make a contribution to the program. And I think that had a lot to do with the success that we experienced in the earlier years. We were a bunch of misfits, really, that weren't wanted by the larger schools. And uh, and he took a chance on us, and I think it worked out uh, for a lot of us. Well, it's impressive because I've been uh, combing back through all of the uh, averages, the, the statistics of players during your era, and it's quite remarkable how many had – not gaudy numbers, but very, very respectable numbers. Uh, your career, 14 points a game, nearly eight rebounds per game, and I'm equally impressed with 2.6 assists per ball game. Um, you know, so, but but you're not unique in that regard, and all due respect to you, Pat, but you yeah. found that among many of your teammates, and this seemed that the cohesiveness uh, was really interesting about that particular error. And, um, well, we'll get to some other points to that, too, but but when you first came to Madison College, as it was called in the fall of 1974, what sense of community was there with the campus, and what role did athletics play at that time? Yeah, that's a great question. We were really in our infancy. Um, Lou Campanelli had only been there, I think, a year. Um, he had brought in his great staff, which included, uh, you know, Mike Fratella, who we, we know what he's done. Uh, Ernie Nestor, who was, you know, coaching for 45 years, John Thurston, who uh, who also had a long career in uh, in basketball, and uh, and really they were just they presented this vision to us of what they wanted the program to be, not what it was currently, because as I say, we were, you know, we were a Division two level program, uh, 
you know, and they had this great vision of us, you know, being part of the building process and that we would be moving to Division One at least during the time I was there, which we did after my uh, after my sophomore season. So, but you know, soccer was a was a pretty established sport at JMU at the time I came. I remember going to many soccer games. Football was just getting started at its entry level. So, uh, you know, to be honest with you, basketball was kind of the sport. Um, at least back then. I mean, we filled that gym. If we had a game on a Tuesday night, there'd be 5,600 people, you know, in that Godwin Hall uh, watching us play. So uh, basketball was very important in the early days at JMU, and it's been kind of interesting to watch the evolution of basketball at JMU because I think we went on to do some really great things in the late 70s and early 80s. And um, and then during the lefty area, we did some things too, but I think there was a real shift uh, to maybe football for a period of time in terms of facilities and and coaches and things. And we all know the success of football has experienced. But uh, and I think for a while there, basketball, you know, we we were not having the success that we had hoped we'd have. But I think that's all turning around today with these absolutely beautiful new facilities and the coaching staff. And I'm really feeling better about the direction of the uh, of the program. Well, I asked Linton Towns a similar question uh, and that I'm getting ready to ask you, Pat, although he was uh, a few years after you in terms of, I think he actually took your jersey number, which yes, he told he me in our podcast. He, <laughs> yes, he said he, he that put a lot of pressure on him. He oh, told me, funny. you know, oh, to yeah. follow up with you. Yes. Um, yeah. But, he, how many years of an NBA career did he have? I don't think I put well, too much pressure on him. <laughs> he played 17 years as a pro combined here in the United States. And wow. NBA, and then, of course, overseas as well. So certainly had a had a big flu- influence on him. But uh, you know, I asked I asked uh, Linton, uh, particularly that time, because it was the three consecutive years. He played the first two of those three consecutive NCAA Division One uh, tournament years. You played in two NCAA tournaments as well do you feel like basketball on the men's side of jmu athletics because women's sports goes back over 100 years now uh you know at jmu and and that's the history of the university of course but do you feel like basketball was the sport that helped to maybe set the bar of expectations with jmu's men's athletics program i absolutely do and I really believe that that has a lot to do with Dr. Carrier and Dean Ehlers and uh, and uh, our coaching staff and our players and our fans. I mean, I think they made a a real decision back there when they were starting off that we were gonna uh, we were gonna have a strong basketball program. And you know, when you're starting athletics in a school, it's it's really easier when you think about it to do it from a basketball perspective. I mean, how many total scholarships do you need in basketball compared to football and some of these other sports and the costs involved in doing so? So uh, I think from the top down, I always, uh, I remember, and in, in, uh, we had a little meeting on coach's book that he wrote dare to dream. And mm-hmm. I remember we were interviewed by the, uh, the author of the book and he, and he asked me, he said, well, how do you explain the success, you know, in the early years of, of the basketball program? And I I think I summarized it by saying, you know, it was really kind of the perfect storm. It was, you know, you had to have all elements in place to to build the program as quickly as Coach Campanelli was able to do it. You needed a, a president of the university that was absolutely committed to making it happen. 
I mean, I tell stories about Dr. Carrier coming down to the locker room after every home game, shaking hands with every player and congratulating them or telling them to keep their chins up if, if it was a tough loss. I mean, how many presidents of universities do that, you know? And, uh, and to hire somebody like Dean Ehlers, who had been at Memphis and had seen how a you know big time program works, and who had just incredible integrity and was a just a first class act and uh, and to, uh, knew how to build a program, and then to hire the staff like he did that I referred to earlier, and then to get the fan involvement. I mean, the fans were so involved in basketball at an early point. So yes, I do believe that basketball kind of catapulted uh, a lot of the other sports. Uh, to the success that they had uh, at JMU. Let's talk about your career a little bit uh, more here, Pat. And and what do you recall about your very first game when you stepped onto the court wearing the the JMU uniform? I actually think it was maybe the worst game of my career. I remember it (laughs) it was yesterday. That's just truthful. I I did not start. I was six-man in the game, so I got in fairly early. And we were playing at East Carolina University. Not East Carolina, I'm sorry. Eastern Tennessee. Eastern Tennessee University. I had zero points in probably 15 minutes' time. I think I had zero rebounds and zero assists. I think I just kind of ran around like a a little bit of a haze and uh, and (laughs) didn't offer much, to be totally honest with you. Isn't it funny how you remember the – the bad games, but you don't seem to remember any of the good games, the details of the good games. Crazy how that works as a, as a player sometimes. But well, the, so the, that was my, that was my contribution in my first game at JMU really had no contribution. <laughs> well, it's interesting. Cause uh, you know, you're the third in a series of guys I've talked to recently, both Steve and Linton pointed to uh, two games that they remember that weren't the favorable outcomes in many regards. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, there is that phenomenon that that works out with it. All right, well let's let's pull some other games. What are other memorable games for you that may be much more on the positive side? Again, you you guys during your tenure won 72 games, lost 32. That's nearly a 70% winning rate. So you had a lot of opportunities to have some great moments. We we did and uh you know, there are some personal highlights that I remember. I uh uh I remember the game down at Roanoke at the Civic Center. When uh, that was a year when we didn't have Sherman, and when we didn't have Sherman in the offense, it was uh, quite a struggle, as you can imagine. And I remember uh, we were down by six points, and they they were taking the ball in, uh, and they had to go full court with it, and they had the ball. We were down by six points with, I think it was 37 seconds left to play in the game. For some reason, that 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 uh, that number stands in my mind. Anyway, we got the quick turnover. We scored. We, they took the ball in again. We uh, we stole the pass. We scored, and then we fouled. They missed a foul shot. We came down and scored. So in 37 seconds, we tied the game and won it in overtime. That was one that really uh, that really sticks in my mind. But there were some great local rivalries too uh, that we won beating um, uh, beating William and Mary down there. My senior year was a was a big win for us. Uh, the other big game that I remember was Florida State down at Florida State, which was a big-time program at the time, and we were not. And we took them at their house down to the last shot of the game, and uh, and we we missed a short jump shot and uh, and lost that game, unfortunately. But we played them very well. So there were a lot of uh, 
a great uh, ups and downs throughout our career. But overall, I, I'd say for a, uh, for a growing program, we were very successful and probably won close to two-thirds of our games or so that we played. And I give uh, Coach Campanelli and the coaching staff a lot of credit for that. We had we had some great coaches that were very passionate, very intense, and did not like losing too much. They really didn't. Well, Dr. Carrier didn't like losing too much either. No, Because uh, no, I know he, he would come down and talk to not only uh, Coach Campanelli but other coaches when uh, in the early years of, of my career at JMU, and uh, he would – he had a, an interesting way of telling them about that, you know, particularly in public. I'm not so sure about in private. Yeah, we we heard some stories about those uh, those two. As uh, Carrier certainly was very instrumental in in where JMU Athletics is today. Uh, on a, on another personal level, uh, ultimately one of your sons, Jason, ended up coming to JMU and played football in '08, a year in which the Dukes made it to the national semifinals. Uh, that game, uh, you may have been there when Rodney Landers got hurt and. The Dukes yep. ended up losing that game. What was it like to have yep. your son uh, as a legacy player here, even though it was a different sport? Yeah, it was it was great. I really enjoyed those times. Unfortunately, he tore his Achilles tendon and mm-hmm. uh, and kind of ended his career there. And then uh, then two day, two years after college playing basketball, tore his other Achilles tendon. So um, so he had a rough a rough stretch of it there with his Achilles, but. It was exciting to come back and and do the tailgates and and watch the football games and cheer the Dukes on again. I still go to two or three games a year. I try to get up there for football, and I'm anxious to get into the new basketball facility. Haven't had a chance to get in yet, like a lot of people haven't uh, because of the virus. But, but no, it was very exciting to have a son that was part of the program, absolutely. Well, you've, you've touched on this a little bit, but it was among my questions to ask. Um, and uh, you, you did kind of speak of this. From 1974 to today, uh, and this will air in 2021, can you believe really how quiet this little Madison College campus has become as it is today, just the growth? is it? Does it just astound you at times when you when you visit the campus? It's unbelievable. I mean, you you have to remember, uh, it was, you know, an all-girls school not long before I got there. Um, And, you know, when I was there, we only had the campus on one side of 81. It was just a big green hill on the other side, and and look at it today. But but I do ride around. I do see all the the sports facilities that they have. You know, I've seen uh, all the the buildings, you know, on both sides of campus. Just amazing. the size and the popularity of the school. Now, when I went to Madison College, and I was not that far away, I went to high school in St. John's High School, you know, two and a half hours away in Washington, D.C. there. And this is a true story. I I remember uh, I had never heard of Madison College in 1974. And so I was recruited by a few schools, and finally Mike Fratella uh, and Coach Campanelli offered me a scholarship to go to Madison. And I remember telling all my friends, I said, "Yeah, I'm going. I'm going to Madison College." They all had the same response: Madison. Why would anybody want to go to school in Wisconsin? You know, <laughs> they had never heard of Madison, and this was 1974, and we're only two and a half hours away from there. So, it gives you some idea how little known we were at that time, and. You know, I, I think about this, and I'm serious. I, I was the first person I know from that area to go to that school, and I'm sure there were others. I just, 
had never heard of anyone to go to Madison, never heard of Madison College. But once I got there and saw the campus and saw the coaches and saw the facilities and understood their vision for where they wanted to take the program, I thought, you know, this would be pretty neat playing for these guys and being part of building a program rather than just going to a program that's well-established and being another player there. So I kind of bought into that, uh, that whole picture and, uh, I'm sure glad I did because I had the best four years of my life and many fond memories of uh, of JMU. Well, Pat, you're in retirement now. What is it that uh, occupies much of your time these days? So I actually, Kurt, retired young. I had a 28-year a, a career with uh, – well, I worked for Johnson & Johnson for a few years and then worked for Eminem Mars Candy Company, and I uh, finished as a national sales manager. And I, uh, I retired on my 50th birthday. And uh, and I've moved into a very high-level job now. I help my wife out on her horse stables, and I muck horse manure in the stalls. So that's uh, <laughs> <laughs> a humble man, a humble man. Yeah. Yeah. No, we have a we do have a farm uh, that we have a 35-acre farm that we uh, we keep 14 horses at, and I uh, I do a lot of physical work all day, keeping them up and uh, and helping her uh, with her business down at the, down at the farm. So yeah, that's that's what keeps me busy. Well, Pat, I do appreciate your time and joining us here on the JMU Sports Alumni Podcast. I'm sure that when uh, we get through COVID, we'll see your face at the Atlantic Union Bank Center, the Bridgeport Stadium, and many other of the athletic facilities around campus because we know that once a Duke, always a Duke. Absolutely. I very much enjoyed it, Kurt. Great great speaking with you. He is Pat Dosh, played for the JMU men's basketball Dukes, 1974-78. to I did give you some of the obscure stats that I looked up in our media guide, but here are the ones that most people are most interested in. Pat finished his career with 1,458 career points. That currently stands at eighth all-time. Of course, we've been tracking Matt Lewis. as He is number three all-time as of January the 30th with 1,852 points. Sherman Dillard second, 2,065. And then it is Steve Steelper as he finished his career with 2,126. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did the conversation with Pat Dosh as we took a trip down the purple and gold memory lane. That'll do it for this week on the JMU Sports Alumni Podcast. Thank you for listening. I'm Kurt Dudley. The JMU Sports Podcast Series can be heard by subscribing on Spotify, iTunes, or by visiting jmusports.com backslash podcast. The JMU Sports Podcast is a production of JMU Athletics Broadcast Services and JMU Athletics Communications. Go Dukes!